Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. I'm going to start with a quote um, on today's section of scripture from C.H. Spurgeon. He says this, For the church that was at Colossae, Paul gave hearty thanks to God for many most important blessings, especially for their faith, their love and their hope. It would be a very useful exercise to our hearts if we would often give thanks to God for the gifts and graces which are discovered in our Christian brethren. I'm afraid we are more inclined to spy out their faults than we are to discern the works of the Holy Spirit in them and from the bottom of our hearts to give thanks to God for them. In today's passage, we have much to thank the Lord for and much to pray to the Lord about. And today, from chapter 1 in Colossians, we're going to look at three types of prayer. But before that, we have an introduction to the book of Colossians in verses 1 and 2. This theologically rich introduction brings a few things to our attention that we shouldn't skip over. Uh, Firstly, the author of this letter in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was called by God in Acts 9.15 and God empowered him to be an apostle. Paul, a number of times, starts his letters by stating he's an apostle by the will of God. He he does this in the letter to the Ephesians, to Timothy, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, and here in Colossians. So what you might think, what's the big deal about that? Well, it is a big deal, and I'll tell you why. The Colossians are being led astray by false teachers. But now the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he has the absolute authority of God behind him. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Means, listen up, this is a thus says the Lord letter. And for us, the application at this early point is simple. There are all types of thinking about God and Jesus in our world. But here in the book of Colossians, we have God's man, the apostle, speaking. So we need to heed the warnings, we need to listen to the corrections and embrace the truth about our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, we have the recipients of the letter. It says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Uh, While brothers uh, uh, is uh, in the Greek here, an application, of course, is it certainly includes sisters. Uh, the letter addresses uh, the sisters later in this letter, but it's, the whole letter is addressed to brothers and sisters. And Paul and his co-worker Timothy are sending this letter to the church at Colossae. The church are the saints, verse 2. And saints in the New Testament is always plural, always plural, and refers to everyday Christian. They are real people in real time, in real history. And the year, well, it's likely around AD 60 to 62, and the Apostle Paul is writing one of his prison letters from Rome, and he's writing to the church at Colossae. Now, for those who don't know, Colossae is in Asia Minor on the trade route to the coastal town of Ephesus. 
And if that's not helpful, just think modern day Turkey. And thirdly, verse 2, the blessing of this letter. It says, to the saints, and it goes on to say, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This isn't some flippant saying whereby Paul decides to start his letter with something nice. This is a blessing. Paul comes with a blessing. He says, grace to you. Paul's desire here, his prayer, is to unleash divine favour and power upon the recipients of this letter. He wants this grace of God contained in this letter to be outpoured on the saints. The blessing at the beginning of this letter, grace to you, and the blessing at the end of the letter, grace be with you. This letter is a means of grace to you. So we come to this letter expecting to be blessed through God's word. Grace to you, and verse 2, peace from God our Father. Not only is this letter a means of grace, but it's a gift of peace from God the Father. Now for believers in the Lord Jesus, according to Romans 5.1, due to our justification by faith, we already have peace with God in an objective sense. We were once enemies of God, but now we have peace with God. But this peace from God the Father here in Colossians is more a subjective peace. It's, this peace is tangible, it's experiential, and it comes through the mediation of this scriptural truth. This peace comes to you through the awareness of who Jesus is and what he's done. So this peace may come to you through the lordship of, of, of Christ over the cosmic powers in chapter 1, his defeating of all the powers of darkness in chapter 2, or the fact your life is hidden with Christ in chapter 3. I'm not going to go through them all, but this letter, through the truth it contains, will give you grace and peace from God. And this uh, introduction uh, to this letter should excite us with what God is going to say in this letter. So, now we move from the in introduction to prayer. As I mentioned earlier, I've broken this section up into three types of prayer. And the first prayer I want you to notice is a prayer of thanksgiving. Specifically, this is a prayer of thanksgiving for what God is doing in others. So is doing in others in verses three, verse 3 to 8. In verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. The Colossian Christians certainly have something for Paul uh, and others to thank God for. Their faith and belief is in the right person. Their faith is in Christ Jesus. And what should always accompany faith? Verse 4, love for other Christians. Uh, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. And it is a love produced, as verse 8 says, by the Holy Spirit. A love that compromises when it comes to the truth of the gospel is not <coughs> biblical. Likewise, a faith that rigorously defends some theological point about Jesus but lacks love for other Christians 
is not biblical either. Faith in Jesus and love for other believers go hand in hand. Uh, Spurgeon, the, the guy I quoted at the beginning of this sermon, had an incredible influence on the people of Britain in the 19th century. And no one could question his faith in Jesus. He held firm to the truth of the gospel. On the other hand, you cannot question his love for others by the way he started up numerous charitable organisations. You know, we as the uh, Presbyterian Church take the truth of God's word seriously, uh, but also, uh, as noted in the last uh, Presbyterian World Missions letter, we take loving other people seriously as well. And you may have read, I'm not sure, about the uh, orphanage in Malawi that the Presbyterian Church supports. So just like Paul thanked God for the Colossians' faith in Jesus and love for others, we should do the same because it is God Almighty who gives them this faith and love. And how he does that is faith and love spring from hope, verse 5, the hope laid up in heaven. Where does this hope come from? Verse 5, the word of truth, the gospel. And who told the Colossians the gospel? Not Paul, but verse 7, Epaphras, a faithful minister of Jesus. Epaphras was instrumental in planting this church. So the hope held out in the gospel is bearing fruit amongst the Colossians and they're putting their faith in Jesus and expressing it through love. But the gospel's not just bearing fruit among the Colossians. Verse 6 tells us all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And this is one of those classic cases where the world isn't referring to the whole world as we know it. At this time, the gospel wasn't bearing fruit amongst you know, the, the Aboriginals here or the South American Indians, but the gospel was bearing fruit in the known world uh, spoken about in this context. So for today, as the gospel goes out and we hear about people trusting in Jesus and their lives as a result bear fruit, we praise the living God for this. We say glory to Jesus Thanks be to God. That should be our response. A responsive prayer of thanksgiving is a prayer of response to what God is doing in others. And prayers like this should be part of our prayer life. When people are saved or you see the gospel fruit in your children's life or in your grandchildren's life, in a friend's life or in anyone's life, you thank the Lord in prayer for it. Um, at the uh, recent GAFA, Nathan would be able to tell you this, uh, there's a the Korean church, uh, the, the speaker there shared with us how the Korean church uh, continues to grow uh, and is about to send out likely more missionaries than the West. Uh, so when that happens, what does Paul say? What do we do about that? Well, verse 3 says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first type of prayer, thanksgiving for what God is doing in others, verses 3 to 8. And next, praying for what God can do in others 
in verse 9 to 11. So in verse 9 to 11, this type of prayer is what you could call intercessory prayer or a prayer of supplication, which is praying for others. Verse 9 says, And so, from the day we heard, which links back to the Colossians' faith in Christ and love by the Holy Spirit, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So this answers the how often Paul intercedes for these uh, Colossians. He hasn't stopped praying for these Christians. And there, of course, may be a bit of hyperbole in this. But Paul's making the point he prays often for these Christians whom he has likely never met. And the great thing about looking at prayers in the Bible is it helps us to know what scripture sees as the important things to be praying about. So when we come to this prayer of Paul for the Colossians, does he focus on prayer that they will have a, a better home, you know, perfect health, a more comfortable transport or a work promotion, finances? Surely these things are the most important thing for them to be praying about. Well, there's nothing wrong with praying about those types of things. Recently, I'll give you an example of this. Recently, our car's transmission failed and there was nothing we could do about it. And it was expensive to fix. And a dear brother in Christ of mine prayed. He said, I'll pray for you regarding what to do. Well, the car ended up at the wreckers and we ended up with a new car. So that was the problem solved. Uh, we certainly can and should bring, you know, our, our practical types of matters to the Lord. God wants us to pray about our daily bread and our daily needs. Yet what we pray for others, when we pray for others, let's not forget other things that Scripture highlights as important. So where's Paul's prayer focus? Let's have a look at that. We have not ceased to pray for you, verse 9, here it is, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You know, Scripture holds this as a very important prayer point, that people be filled with a knowledge of God's will. So what was God's will? Well, God's will here is everything revealed in Scripture about God's will for us in Christ, including how we are to view the Lord and how we are to act as his followers. And to know God's will, we need, verse 9, spiritual wisdom and understanding. So spiritual understanding so that we can discern truth from error, you know, so we, you know, know what God's word is saying. That's why we need spiritual understanding and we need spiritual wisdom so we know how to apply God's word correctly in our day-to-day -day life. And notice how we don't discover God's will there through human wisdom and understanding, but it's verse 9, it's spiritual wisdom, Holy Spirit-given wisdom and understanding. Paul is interceding for the Colossians so they may know God's will. But why does he pray this? Well, it tells us in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You know, the aim of knowing God's will through his word is to live a worthy life. And the result of doing God's will means you will please God. So just like sin displeases God, good works make God happy. They invoke his pleasure, inflame joy in his heart, they're pleasing in his sight. And observe here how knowledge of God's will through his word is for a purpose to live a worthy life, a pleasing to God life. Knowledge 
is for godliness. Knowledge isn't so that you can quote the Bible or some theological term to make yourself look super spiritual. You know, the often criticised Pharisees, the religious leaders in the New Testament could do that. Knowledge is for godliness. And what does a worthy, pleasing to God life look like? Well, verse 10 says it's bearing fruit in every good work. This has to do with our character and our conduct. And verse 10 says increasing in the knowledge of God. So you grow in your knowledge of God so that you know more of God's will so you can bear more fruit. And again, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us, whereby you are, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So God's power here is granted. It's granted here, not so that you can become some great you know, miracle worker. God's power is granted here for endurance and patience. So we'll have endurance, which is like a forbearance and steadfastness so that we can see things through when life gets extremely difficult. And we to have you know, the power for patience, which is like a restraint when we're tempted to react rashly in situations. And so application here, do you want to see your children or grandchildren living a worthy life, pleasing to the Lord? Do you want to see that parent or grandparent have God's mighty power to endure as they face the challenges of old age? Do you want to see that spouse have power from God to be more patient? Do you want to see that teenager bearing more fruit? Do you want to see your friend or fellow church member grow and produce more fruit? Do you want to see your elders and your pastor, Nathan, have greater spiritual wisdom and knowledge so they can bear more fruit? Well, pray for them. Intercede for them. That's the application. Pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate and enlighten them to God's word so they'll be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's will so they can live a life pleasing to God. God works through prayer. But let's not restrict our intercessory prayer just for the people we know. Remember, Paul's praying for people he likely had never met. So we need to broaden our prayer life, our intercessory prayer life, to people in other towns, in other cities, other countries. Hence why it's a good thing to be praying for missionaries and mission groups. So our first type of prayer, thanksgiving for what God is doing in others. Our second prayer, type of prayer, is praying for what God can do in others in verse 9 to 11. And a third type of prayer is another type of thanksgiving prayer. And this one is thanksgiving for what God has done for us. So this is different. It's what God has done for us. And it's in verses verse 12 to 14. And this prayer is again to God the Father. So in verses 12 to 14, there are three reasons why you and I should joyfully thank God the Father. Number one is our qualification in Christ. Verse 12 says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Or I think NIV says kingdom of light. So the first thing to understand here is this. What's the inheritance that all believers share? 
Is it the ruling of angels from 1 Corinthians 6 or the inheriting of the earth in Matthew 5, 5? Or is it a glorified body in Romans 8, 17 to 25? Yes, but much more, including the loving, loving, glorious, eternal presence of God. However, the inheritance Paul has in mind here is salvation and being part of the kingdom of his beloved son, as opposed to being part of the dominion of darkness in the next verse. But how can one receive such an inheritance? How does one enter the kingdom of his beloved son? Well, you need to be qualified. You need to be qualified. You know, in, in some universities, you have to get a certain grade. In some courses, you need a certain grade to enter those universities or to, to go in that particular course. You need to be qualified, get a certain mark. Well, when it comes to salvation and sharing in the inheritance of the saints, you need to be qualified to do so. And the qualification mark to qualify is morally 100% perfect. You know, this truth is revealed in the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 who couldn't keep the whole law and thus wasn't qualified for eternal life. And the disciples replied in Matthew 19.25, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, humans by themselves are not spiritually qualified to be part of God's kingdom. We are you know, ineligible to be part of this inheritance. No humans on earth can hand in, in an examination paper with 100% lifetime moral purity tick. We all fall short of God's glory. Therefore, we all fail in our qualification, but more than that, we're actually disqualified as well. By nature and choice, we have, through our sin, disqualified ourselves from God's kingdom and therefore we cannot enter it. We cannot ever enter it without God's intervention. Our transgressions have left humanity as a whole disqualified from ever being part of the kingdom of God. And I know that is a tough pill to swallow, but it is true. Yet, to all with faith in Jesus, to all who have Christ as King, our mighty God, verse 12, it says has qualified you in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has qualified you to share in his kingdom. So how did God qualify us? Jesus Christ. Firstly, Jesus' death on the cross paid for our moral failure. Jesus died for our sins. And secondly, Jesus earned the moral goals for us. He scored the moral marks on our behalf so we qualify through his righteousness. His merit gives us the needed 100% mark to enter the kingdom of God. So to those with faith in Jesus, our Lord has qualified you. He's made you adequate because you are now clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again, literally born from above, if you're trusting in Jesus today, God has qualified you for the kingdom. And in the language there in verse 12, it reminds us we are not in the process of being qualified. Qualified is a one-off act, not a progressive one. At our conversion, we were instantaneously qualified for a glorious inheritance that awaits all believers. So we joyfully thank God that he qualified 
us in Christ. And next, we joyfully thank God he has delivered us from darkness. In verse 13, it says this. Verse 13. He, this is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So God has transferred us from one kingdom and planted us in another. You see, there are two spiritual realms spoken of in the Bible. There's the realm or domain of Satan, a place of darkness, chaos, tyranny. It is a realm where the power of the evil one has prominence. And no matter who they are or how they act, anyone without Christ is captive to this spiritual world. But those in Christ, for those who trust in the name of Jesus, they've been delivered or rescued from Satan's domain and from his kingdom and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in verse 13, the word domain there uh, is the, the, the domain in domain of darkness is a standard Greek word for authority. And listen to this. This is through the cross of Christ in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Jesus has triumphed through the cross and we have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we should joyfully thank God the Father for that. And lastly, the third reason uh, to joyfully thank the Lord, and that's in verse 14. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God, through Jesus, has given us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And by paralleling uh, redemption and forgiveness of sins, Paul's teaching us how forgiveness of sin is at the core of redemption. Jesus' blood has purchased us from the realm of unforgiveness and guilt and set us free by granting us forgiveness of sin. So for those here who have put their faith in Jesus. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, know this. God has qualified you to enter God's kingdom. God has delivered you from the dominion of darkness and God has provided you redemption and the forgiveness of sin. They are great reasons to be full of joyful thanksgiving. And it reminded me of David in Psalm, this reminded me of David in Psalm 32 where he says, blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you are not joyful about your salvation, if you're not joyful about your salvation, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord like King David in Psalm 51 and say, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation because joyful thanksgiving should be a regular part of our prayer life. So to close in summary, these are the prayers to echo from our passage today. Thanksgiving for what God is doing in others, praying for what God can do in others and joyfully thanking God for what he's done for us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the, 
incredible salvation that we do have, Lord. Uh, Father, thank you for qualifying us, doing for us what we cannot do ourselves, and that's qualifying us for such a wonderful inheritance. Father, we just want to thank you too, Lord, that you've delivered us from the domain of darkness. You've set us free and put us in that wonderful kingdom of light, the kingdom of your beloved Son. What a kingdom it is, Lord, and we praise you and thank you that we're part of such a great kingdom, worshipping a great God. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, you've delivered us from that guilt, cleansed our conscience, set us free from the shame of our sin, for we have forgiveness in your name. Praise you and thank you, Holy Father, for these wonderful things you've done for us in Christ. Thank you, our wonderful Lord. Amen.